In Psalm 57, David is experiencing calamities coming from an enemy who wanted to devour him. It is, he explains, as if he is among the lions who are out for the kill. And although they have set a trap for him, David is certain that they themselves will fall into it. In the midst of this crisis, he trusts in God. He's hiding in the shadow of his wings, knowing that God will act on his behalf. And therefore David praises God, calling upon his lute and harp, so that he can sing to God among the nations. Here then, in Psalm 57, is a song of testing and triumph. Commentators identify this psalm as a psalm of personal lament. Verses 7 through 11, in nearly identical form, also makes up Psalm 108, verses 1 through 5. According to the inscription, this psalm was written by David as a miktam, or an atonement psalm, while he was fleeing from Saul and hiding in the cave. The psalm was later given to the choir director of the temple to be sung by the Levites, and it was set to the tune of Al-Tesheth, Do Not Destroy. So as we look at this song of test and triumph, we're going to first of all look at verses 1 through 6 and see David's prayer in danger, his prayer in danger. And then we'll look at his praise for deliverance, David's praise for deliverance in verses 7 through 11. Let's begin with the prayer for or David's prayer in danger in verses 1 through 6. And we begin with verse 1, a cry for mercy, a cry for mercy. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. As David begins his prayer, he begins with this cry of mercy. In verse 1, the repetition of the verb, be gracious, makes the cry for help more emphatic. David is literally saying, be gracious to me now, not later, not next week, not next month, right now, I need your grace. The verb be gracious means to show unmerited favor or be merciful. You see, God's mercy is part of his covenant love, which is unconditional. The basis for David's call or request for divine grace is his faith. For my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. As in the opening verse, repeating the verb brings emphasis. Again, my soul takes refuge in you. I will take refuge under your wings. David views God as a mother hen protecting her chicks. And this covering will last until the destructions or calamities that he's facing have passed. The noun for destruction literally means engulfing ruin. And so God's mercy is seen in protecting David from this engulfing ruin. You know, it's similar to the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10, that God will keep them through the hour of trial. Likewise, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said to be, that we should pray to be delivered from the evil one in Matthew 6.13. That, that prayer, that request is similar to what David's praying here. Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your divine favor. And here's my faith. I, I, my faith says, hey, I trust in you. You are my refuge. You are the one who is going to protect me and deliver me from this engulfing ruin. 
He continues his prayer in danger from a cry to mercy. Here in verses 1 to verse 2 and 3, he says, I will cry to God Most High, to Him, excuse me, to God, who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. David's confession of his trust in God Most High is a title that means God is above all other gods. He's acknowledging God's sovereign authority and power. As God Most High, he is the one who performs all things for his people, particularly here David. In application, us. The verb accomplishes, to God who accomplishes, means to the God who brings to an end or who completes all things for me. That is, God takes care of all our requests and he finishes the work. Similar to what uh, we see in Philippians, God will begin what, he, or excuse me, God will finish, rather, what he has begun. You see, what David needs in these circumstances, what you and I need when we're facing our crises, is God's intervention. And where does it come from? It always comes from heaven. He will send from heaven and save me. Moreover, as God acts on David's behalf, that David says he reproaches, literally God says harsh things to the one who would swallow David up. You see, when we're in crisis, particularly when we're dealing with people who are against us, God is going to speak harsh things against those who would speak or do harsh things to us as God's people. And it's the power of that reproach that brings deliverance to God's people. See, when God speaks, things happen. As Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, His word always accomplishes His work. And what God sends from heaven to deliver David and to judge His enemies is this, His loving kindness and His truth. God's loving kindness is His covenant love. His truth is His faithfulness. You see, the reason why God delivers David, the reason why he judges our enemies, is because he must keep his covenant with us. He must be faithful to us. He, that is what he's promised to do when he granted salvation to us. Now, ultimately, this promise will be fulfilled in Jesus, the Word made flesh, who came filled with what? Grace and truth, or loving kindness and faithfulness, John 1.14. Our great temptation is often to take God's work into our own hands. We can't take God's work in our hands. We can't try to deliver ourselves. It's not ours to deliver ourselves from destruction. It's not ours to try and deliver ourselves from our enemies. That is God and God alone's responsibility. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, I will repay. The question that you need to ask and answer for yourself is, are you willing to wait for God? Are you willing to pray for Him to act from heaven? As we continue David's prayer for danger, look at verses 4 through 6. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. 
even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it, Selah. Now David's enemy is described here in metaphorical language as he finds his soul or himself in the midst of lions. He depicts his enemies as lions, as beasts of the field. And as beasts, these sons of men breathe forth fire. That is, they devour him as a fire would consume a tree or a grass field. And the means of their attacks are with their teeth and their tongues. You see, their weapons, the weapon of their warfare is slander that is sharp like a spear or an arrow or a sword. And David says he is literally in danger of being torn apart. You know, we think of that little uh, uh, jingle, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, that's, not, that's so far from the truth, it's not even funny. If that was true, David's a liar. And if David's a liar here, then the word of God's a lie. Words are sharp. Words do hurt. Like spears, like arrows, like sword. And so often the words of an enemy can tear us apart. And so David then prays in answer to the attacks upon them. Notice David didn't revile when reviled. He didn't return slander for slander. He didn't find a snide mark to make back to their snide mark. Instead, he prayed. And when God is exalted, when his glory is manifested, then the lies of the enemy will fade into nothing. Now, ultimately, again, the answer to David's prayer here is ultimately going to be Jesus Christ. But while we're waiting for that, we can be comforted knowing that when we pray, he will expose the enemy. If we will just simply set back and let God work his plan, we'd be so much better. But we're, we're so quick to want to make a retort. We're so quick to want to fire back that we've never given God the opportunity to act. Our enemies could probably be shut down far sooner and far quicker if we'd simply shut our mouths and pray. David, reflecting in verse 6 upon his immediate situation, describes his enemies and their actions and their disposition with another metaphor. He says, like hunters, they have laid a trap for him. And a net is ready to be sprung. His soul is bowed down by the weight of attack. In other words, David is just feeling the oppression. He's feeling their, their, their oppression bearing down upon him. He knows they've laid traps. He's no, he knows they're just waiting to attack him. He's literally carrying a heavy load. He's struggling with depression. That's what this phrase, my soul is bowed down, literally can be translated as to be struggling with depression. But isn't it interesting that the very pit that his enemies have dug for him becomes their own trap. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. That's what God does. God turns it right around on them. Now, in verse 7 through 11, David begins to praise God for deliverance. So he had a prayer in danger, but now prays for deliverance. My heart is steadfast. 
O God, my heart is steadfast. Again, notice, same thing as we saw in verse 1. Literally, he's saying, my heart is steadfast now. I will sing, yes, I will sing. I will sing now, praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awake in the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens, and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. In light of his call for God to manifest his glory, in verse 6, in light of his call for the self-destruction of his enemies, in verse 6, David now affirms the condition of his heart. It is steadfast. It's firm. Once again, the verb's repeated here for emphasis. Based on this security David has, he's ready to worship. He's ready to praise God. And he now commands himself and his instruments to respond. Awake my glory. The word glory here is a metaphor for his soul or for himself. We see this in the uh, same metaphor in Psalm 16.9. And he continues, awake harp and lyre. Awaken the dawn. In other words, he's going to sing and play his instruments and give praise to God as soon as the sun rises. In verse 9, David's worship becomes his witness. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. His praise is based on the vastness of God's mercy. It reaches unto the heavens. Again, the word mercy here is the same as covenant love used so frequently throughout the book of Psalms. That love is higher than our highest thoughts. That love binds heaven and earth together. Likewise, his truth, his trustworthiness, extends to the clouds. See, the idea here is that mercy and truth are not human creations. Mercy and truth come from the heart of God. David concludes with the refrain from verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. For God to be exalted here means we, he needs to be lifted up in worship. As he is praised, then his glory will be seen above all the earth. How about you? What do you have to praise God for? You've prayed for so many things. You've prayed in times of health and wealth, and you've prayed in times of danger and despair. And I know God has acted. What have you praised him for? Have you, ha, has your prayer turned you back to God so that now you praise Him for His deliverance or you praise Him for whatever the answer was. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. What we sow, we will reap. And, and if you're simply a person that prays to God and prays to God and prays to God but never praises God, my friend, beware. He will give you leanness to your soul. He will bring it upon you until... You learn not just to pray, but to praise. Father God in heaven, I thank you for this psalm that you've given us, this psalm that reminds us, Father, of your mercy, of your truth, of your tenderness, of your love, of your compassion, that, Father, we can cry out to you while we're surrounded by the enemy, that, Father, we can cry out to you in our times of need, we can cry out to you in our depression, in our despair. Lord, you always hear us. And you're very quick to answer and to respond. You're quick to deliver us, especially when our enemies attack. But yet, Father, we're so slow to respond with praise. And so, Lord, I pray that you might work upon the hearts of each one listening. 
that, Father, we not be just a praying people, but we might be a praising people for all that you've done for us. We pray in your Son's matchless name. Amen.